0: Hey everyone, uh, before we uh, get this episode started, I just want to uh, say right off the bat what an honor it was for me to be able to sit down with uh, Pastor Graham uh, for this episode. Um, a lot of the content and discussion that we have on certain topics has really blessed me and has really been some some of the stuff that I've struggled with as well, um, and, and Pastor Graham has been a mentor to me. Uh, in my ministry in in, in different aspects, uh, when it came to uh, leadership and and pastoring a church, um, and even in aspects of youth ministry, he has uh, really been there and, and an impact for me. And so I hope uh, those of you that are listening to this uh, really take in some of the words that he shares with uh, us on this episode. Uh, he he goes deep into some of the stories, some of the origins of his own ministry, and uh, it's incredibly inspiring to see where God has uh, taken uh, their church in Saint Laurent. And even his ministry and how it's impacted many people, not just in Montreal, but all over the world. Uh, so uh, be, be blessed by this episode, guys. Uh, we, we put some links in the uh, description of this episode uh, to some of the uh, content and some of the resources that were mentioned. Uh, so you're free to check those out. But again, we hope that you're blessed by this episode. Hope that you're inspired. Uh, but let's run that music intro real quick. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to The Bridge Podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Fortaleza, and we're so blessed and honored to uh, have you once again uh, tuning in to this episode, uh, into the past previous episodes starting from Season 2. Uh, we've had some really great discussions, uh, really great guests coming on uh, just to talk about the topics of life and ministry and uh, how they connect in many different ways. And today, I am so blessed and honored to have uh, Pastor Paul Graham with us uh, for this episode. And today we're going to be talking about a wide range of uh, topics. Maybe not wide, maybe they're, they're connected in one way or another. But uh, I'm just very excited to have uh, Pastor Graham here with us. I'm going to get him to introduce himself in a moment here. Uh, but uh, today we're going to be talking mainly about uh, reaching lost souls. And uh, Pastor Graham's going to give a little bit of his background. Uh, he's from Montreal, Quebec, and he's going to talk a little bit more about this later on. Uh, but He's from Montreal, Quebec. He's been pastoring there for many years. Uh, I'll let him share how many years that is because I don't know that exactly off the top of my head, but he's been uh, such a great inspiration, a great blessing. Uh, his ministry has reached uh, many different people all across the world. Uh, he is responsible for, for training up many great leaders uh, who are now uh, in, in different positions all across the United Pentecostal Church. Uh, he's just an incredible man of God, someone I look to up to uh, very much, and I'm Once again, just so excited that we could have him on this uh, podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and allow him to uh, introduce himself to you and uh, maybe share a little bit of his background. Uh, But Pastor Graham, thank you for joining us uh, today on this episode. Uh, Maybe you can share a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, uh, talk a little bit about uh, what's going on over there in Montreal.
1: Well, good evening, uh, Brother Josel. So glad to be with you tonight and with all of the people who listen in. Uh, I am originally from the province of New Brunswick. I was born and raised there. I was born on a farm. I was blessed to be born into a family that was already in the apostolic truth. My mom and dad both got saved when they were teenagers before they were married. And so I was blessed to be born into the apostolic truth. Mm. When I was seven years old, I listened to an evangelist preach about the coming of the lord and the tribulation and i was convicted i was baptized in jesus name during that revival and uh, when i was nine years old a couple of years later i received the gift of the holy ghost and i basically lived my life growing up in the church and i don't regret that i don't feel like that i missed out on a lot of things by not going out into the world and trying Mm -hmm. all of the pleasures of sin Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, I was very fortunate. I, I did all of the basic uh, ministries that there was in the church at that time. I started off being an usher. Uh, I became a Sunday school teacher. I was a youth leader. I had uh, experienced some in music, uh, led worship, played the trumpet, did a little bit of guitar, played drums, not now, I wouldn't, but uh, <laughs> back, then, back then I did. And then uh, when I graduated from high school, I had a couple of career opportunities, but I had this nagging feeling inside that I should go to Bible school for at least one year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, being born and raised on a farm, of course, I loved nature. I loved the farm, the farm work, and I loved the woods and the and the fields and hunting and fishing. So when I said goodbye to the farm and went off to Bible school, it was a big change for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Bible school. I only paid for one semester when I went because I felt like, well, if this doesn't go well, I won't have to ask for my money back. So I went for <laughs> one semester. But the Lord started working on me, and I went back for the second semester, and I ended up going for three years and i graduated from the school in 1974. it was called the united pentecostal bible institute at that time it's now northeast christian college Mm -hmm. Uh, when i was between my second and third year of bible school i went to help a pastor in a place called chatham new Brunswick. it's now called uh, miramichi city but i went there Uh, i actually had three opportunities to go different places that summer Mm -hmm. Uh, my flesh wanted to go back home to my home church again but i felt the lord lead me to go to chatham and while i was there that summer i got a job working on a chicken farm to pay my way back to bible school Mm -hmm. i was getting a dollar and 50 cents an hour uh, working long days six days a week and what happened is i would finish my work go home and have supper with the pastor and his wife and then the Lord would draw me to the church. It was a small wood frame church on one of the main streets. And uh, there I would pour out my heart to God. I was laid in much intercessory prayer during that summer and uh, had a breakthrough. And one of the chapters that the Lord started dealing with me was from Isaiah 55, talking about uh, calling a nation that I did not know and people from other nations would run onto me because of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And of course, at that time, I didn't know my future, but I went back to Bible school for my third year. And during the third year, I ended up going on the Bible school trip to Montreal. Mm-hmm. At that time, we just went in a van. The, the school was smaller then, uh, went in a van, and uh, there was just a, a handful of us that stopped in the, the, the church in Montreal and I was amazed by the amount of people. I never did like cities. I even felt like Fredericton was too big for me.
0: Mm. And
1: it was a city of about 40,000 people, but <laughs> I, never, I never enjoyed cities. And uh, here I was in what was at that time, Montreal, before all the political uh, upheaval began in the 70s, it was the largest city in Canada at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we spent a weekend doing outreach, uh, riding on the Metro, I, I told somebody, I said, i seen more people in one day than I had in my entire life up until that wow. time. So we finished and we were, we were headed back to the Bible school on the Monday. And I was so glad to get out of this uh, big metropolis and, and, and go back to the uh, country life again. And while we were on the way back, one of the uh, students uh, who pastors now in Newfoundland, Brother Leroy G he was sitting behind me in the van and he leaned up and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, how about, or do, you, do you feel a call to Montreal? And I said, Oh no, no, no way. <laughs> and when I got back to the Bible school, it started, it's it, this, this thing started eating at me, started gnawing at me. And uh, I didn't have a, a voice from heaven or an angel visitation, but I knew God was uh, up to something with me in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I graduated from Bible school. I went to one of the country churches, a place called Ripples, where Mm -hmm. uh, there's a Filipino guy helping out the pastor there now, Brother Mm -hmm. Raymark. Yeah. Uh, I went there, and I spent a few weeks there assisting the pastor, but I knew it was only temporary. Uh, And then on the Canada Day, July the 1st, my wife and I were married, and we went back to the home church and started to assist the pastor there and we assisted the pastor there for about uh, seven months. And in the month of February, I got a call to, uh, to go to Ontario to uh, pastor a church. Uh, first thing I did was look on the map to find out how close it was to Montreal. And it was in a suburb of Ottawa, so it wasn't far away, mm-hmm. because I knew eventually it was going to end up in Montreal. And I had to go through a struggle uh, to die to myself before I I surrendered to God about going to Montreal. Uh, You could ask my wife, she could tell you on our honeymoon night, uh, we, we traveled from where our wedding was at our home church to a place called Woodstock in New Brunswick and spent our night together there. In the morning when I got up, I was under such a burden. I was on the floor beside the bed and i was weeping and groaning and crying and my wife woke up and and heard the noise and she looked over the edge of the bed at me on the floor and asked what was wrong uh i don't don't know i think she thought i must have made i must have been thinking i made a bad mistake for getting married Mm -hmm. but uh instead i i I, I, between sobs i was telling her god is calling me to go to montreal i don't really want to go and and i was wrestling with this thing Mm -hmm. but uh it, we actually drove through Montreal on her honeymoon and her, she had an aunt and uncle that lived north of the city and we went up there and spent a few days on their farm before going on to Toronto to spend some time with her sister. And so it, it, it became known to me, this is where I was gonna be in this city. And uh, going back home, assisting in my home church was kind of a, a transition period. And then I went to Ottawa to pastor in Stittsville I was there for about a year year and a half, uh, then moved to Montreal to work under the pastor that was here at that time. Uh, He had known about the burden the Lord had put on me, and he had been working with me about when to come. And Mm -hmm. so we finally came on, uh, well, July the 1st, 1976 is the actual day we moved our things here. I continued to pastor the church for a couple more months till the new pastor was able to to get there. Uh, But then we settled in here. Uh, The primary goal of coming in the beginning was to start a French work. Pastor McKean, who was the pastor, uh, wanted to start something with French people. He had an English congregation, but Mm -hmm. there were all kinds of French people around. And so I I had taken French courses in high school and knew a little French. And then when I was in Ottawa, knowing I was coming to Montreal, I took some uh, adult ed classes in French and then moved to Montreal. I took some more French classes while I was here. Uh, I was working, of course, full-time as well. Uh, and then we started a French work. It was small and it struggled in the beginning. Uh, we had just a handful of people. Uh, we would do the service on Sunday afternoon because it was an English service in the morning and an English service at night. So we, we used the church in the afternoon for the, for the English service or rather the French service. Uh, then Pastor McKean, after I'd been there about three years, he resigned and went to pastor a church in New Brunswick. Another pastor came, and he spent one year only in the church, and then he resigned and moved to start the church in the West Island. So the, the English church was left without a pastor, and the district mm-hmm. superintendent asked me if I would be willing to fill in. And that was in 1980, and I'm still filling in. <laughs> Forty years later. I'm still filling in. That's good. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it turned out to be the will of God. And uh, I don't regret it. It wasn't easy. A lot of uh, spiritual battles to fight. And uh, of course, as I said, growing up in the country for me to move to a big city was a, a was a big uh, surrender of my will because I loved the country so much. But uh, i laid my uh, my gun and my fish and rod and farming and country life on the altar to go do the will of God. Mm. Uh, And uh, it's been now uh, 44 years that we have been in this city. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, uh,
0: just going back to, I mean, earlier in your story, in your time in in Bible school, uh, because I, if you guys didn't know, I also attended uh, Northeast Christian College uh, for about a year. And that... Uh, same trip that you were talking about that that initial trip that really brought in that burden for Montreal uh we they still do those trips to Montreal they have students come every year and uh yeah that's just incredible to see how uh God had had placed that in your heart from that moment and it's you know just to see the fruit of it now is just incredible um I want to touch real quick on on an aspect of your story uh when the pastor uh mentioned to you you know, or asked you if you had a burden from Montreal and uh you went back to to Bible school and you you mentioned that it was kind of eating at you, it was kind of you know that, that thing was growing. Um there there's there's been many times, even in my life, and I know in, in some young people that I've worked with, they've had the same uh situation in where they're really uh struggling to lay it down, um, you know, sacrifice the thing that they love for you that was that farm life, that country life uh nowadays it's you know a lot different for our young people uh there's a lot of distractions a lot of things they hold on to um before they can really answer the call of god what what is one advice you would give uh to a young person who is dealing with that same uh feeling of 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 the burden and the call of god eating at them uh and and how can they respond to that uh, in a way that would uh really fulfill that for their life
1: well First of all, there'll be no real peace and satisfaction until one does the will of God. Mm. The Lord had to work on me and uh, prepare me. Uh, You know, my own will would have been stay where all my friends and family are. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: When we did finally move to the suburb of Ottawa, we didn't know anybody there. We were used to in New Brunswick, if, if we went to Fredericton to to shop or buy groceries. We always ran into other apostolic people. And, you know, people we knew, people from other churches and we'd, you know, talk and chat. And when we went to, to the suburb of Ottawa, we knew nobody and we mm-hmm. would go shopping at, uh, there was no Walmart then, it was Kmart and mm-hmm. grocery store and, and we would see nobody that we knew. And uh, it was very lonely and uh, very challenging but we knew we were doing the will of god uh it it's it's total surrender that has to come to the will of the individual giving their will over to god Mm -hmm. and there will not be peace really until until you do it because god will keep hounding you and you can say no long enough and god may pull away and just let you go do your own thing but you will not feel happy or fulfilled until you really do the will of God.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a great response. Uh, is it possible to still fulfill uh, the calling of God and, and have goals for yourself?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Okay. Uh, Cause I know it in, in, especially in this day and age when a lot of people, uh, I guess that's kind of the culture too. People want to make goals and set you know uh kind of have a dream for themselves maybe with a certain career path or a certain um maybe materialistic goal can that coexist though with answering the call of god
1: well this again is another thing that you have to commit to the to to the lord what I found in my life was when i surrendered my will to god and began to walk his way he took away my desire for for the careers that were offered to me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and placed in me the vision for reaching the lost with the gospel which mm-hmm. is the greatest work in the world and i didn't get rich off of serving god but mm-hmm. god's always supplied my needs and he's always taken care of us mm-hmm. so i th- i think again when it comes to setting goals prayer and waiting on God for His direction is a, a good idea. This Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then the natural things of life. God will add them to us as He sees fit.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great stuff. Uh, that that's that's always uh, gotta be key, I guess. You know, when we're trying to figure out, especially with you know a lot of the listeners on this podcast are young people hyphens you know guys who are trying to figure out uh what their uh next goal or path is, you know, after high school or, you know, which career path they want to take, or even just trying to figure out uh what God wants them, wants them to do. And one thing that really stuck out to me in your personal testimony is you you were involved in almost everything. I think I heard trumpet in there, <laughs> drums and, and all kinds of instruments, ushering Sunday school, youth leading. Uh it it's kind of a point that I've been uh kind of learning myself is simply making yourself available in different ways. And, and, and God will kind of, at, that, at a certain point, reveal where he wants you specifically. Would you say that's kind of what happened in your case?
1: Yes, absolutely. I never sought for any position ever. Hmm. Uh, always I was asked to do something and I was willing to do it. And, and I remember making the statement when I was younger. Even when I went to Bible school, I said, one thing I don't want to be as a pastor, I want to help. I want to do everything you know I could do for the work of God, but I don't want to be a pastor. I mm-hmm. had observed pastoral ministry of the pastors that I had uh, sat under, and uh, I saw you know the struggles, the battles, and so on. So that that was my my last desire was to be a pastor <laughs> and uh, have a pulpit ministry. But right. look what happened, you know. <laughs>
0: so amazing how god works yes it almost seems like the the people that don't want to be in those positions end up getting there anyways
1: yes exactly yeah and yeah the ones who the ones who are searching for a pulpit and a microphone often aren't the people yeah just yeah. to get there
0: mm-hmm. that's that's true that's the truth uh i, I kind of want to touch a little bit here on on montreal itself uh now you mentioned earlier that this was at one point the largest city in Canada. Uh I I I think now it's Toronto, if I not mistaken? That's
1: correct. That's correct. Yeah.
0: But Montreal is still one of the uh if not the second, I don't know if it's the second or top yes, 5 cities. It, yeah,
1: it's the second. It's metro mm-hmm. area now is about 4.2 million. Mm. Yeah, that's
0: that's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. It so it's a it's a big city and uh I've uh had the, the blessing of visiting Montreal. Uh, on many many occasions, and it's just full of culture. It's full of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of different uh, countries have come to uh, come to Montreal. In a lot of ways, it's even similar to I'd say to Winnipeg. Uh, there are a lot of different cultures in Winnipeg as well, and maybe even some of the other major cities like Toronto. Um, that's the great thing about Canada is there are a lot of different people that come from all over the world. Um, but you really see this in Montreal, and especially in. Uh, uh, the church that you are currently pastoring in Saint Laurent this is the church that you are uh, taking over uh for the past 44 years uh if if i'm not mistaken uh but it's an amazing church uh maybe you can touch on um some of the cultures uh that are there what's what's one of the more um uh prominent cultures that are that you notice in Montreal i know there's obviously you know french what are some of the other ones that you've seen over the years
1: well, when we came here, the city uh, was basically, I'd say, about 60% French, 40% English-speaking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now there were uh, there were already a fair number of cultures here, but the the majority of them were like Greeks and Italians, uh, some Spanish. Uh, there was. Uh, you you know, the Polish people, a lot of the original European settlers Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: had came over after the war and settled here. The city was made up a lot of them. And of course, as well as native uh, Quebecois people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw the change really happening not long after we got here, because we, we moved here in 1976 and in 1976, uh, the first separatist government was elected here in quebec and they immediately began to push uh an agenda to make quebec a nation and separate it from canada hmm. what happened is they they passed uh, different laws and language laws which caused the head offices of a number of business to leave and hmm. move so, uh, many to toronto some further west to calgary and some even to vancouver and when they did so, of course, it took a lot of people out of Montreal. There were literally hundreds of thousands of people who left Montreal over that uh, period of four years. And uh, we we witnessed it happening even in the church. Uh, a number of people got transferred and a number of people left. Uh, when, when, when I became the pastor, uh, we, we were, you know, we'd still be regarded as a small church, I suppose. And mm-hmm. um, well, what happened was when all of those people s- started leaving, uh, it left a big vacuum as far as population was concerned. I remember just a few blocks from the church, there were like rows and rows of apartment buildings that were boarded up because there was nobody left to live in them. Wow. And places that we used to go out and do outreach in Uh, They were now empty buildings and the government realized their mistake if you could call it that and uh, they opened the doors wide for immigration and The first wave of immigration that came were the what we called the boat people These were the Vietnamese and the Laotians and the Cambodians who uh, were escaping the communists uh, overtaking their countries Mm
0: -hmm. and uh,
1: they were fleeing and looking for a place to go, and so as refugees, many of them came to Canada, and they started filling up those apartment buildings uh, that were, were were near the church, and uh, that was one of the first things we noticed. And of course, uh, other nationalities, because of them making it easier to get into the the province of Quebec, other nationalities began to come too, and. Uh, over the years we've watched it uh of course now there's a number of filipinos here as well mm-hmm. uh, but in in the city borough where our church is located which is San laurent uh the mayor came on one of our all nations sunday and told us that there is 166 different nationalities of people in our borough they wow. uh, uh, there uh the borough is a uh, 100 maybe 110 120,000 people but to have 166 different nationalities of people there, it's like you got the world at your feet.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah,
1: what, a, what a challenge. And of course we are called to reach our world with the gospel. So obviously in our reaching, um, we've tried to get into as many of these nationalities as we can. Uh, the most nationalities we ever had on a Sunday was one all nation Sunday. We had 83 different countries represented. Wow. But, but normally, on a given Sunday, in in the various services that we have, we would have between sixty and seventy different nations represented, almost on a regular basis every Sunday.
0: That's incredible. And If you guys ever get a chance to uh, visit this church, uh, we my dad actually took this uh, this idea from you guys. But you guys have like a flag uh, posted at the front of the the church for every nationality, and it's. I remember my first. Sunday night service attending at saint laurent and it was it was incredible to see uh the different nationalities that were worshiping together at the uh during the service um You could see them grabbing their uh their nation's flag and 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 kind of taking it around uh the sanctuary uh it's It's really a beautiful thing to see uh but at the same time, I understand that uh to get to that point definitely probably wasn't easy and uh no, it was not yeah and you can you can probably touch on that a little bit uh how was uh what, what were some of the biggest challenges I guess you could say um in reaching uh all of these different cultures that as you said was at um you know your footstool you know that was available to you at that in that moment uh, as they started coming in
1: well first of all w- when I became the pastor of the english work too uh, the ch- the church did not have a spiritual depth like it really needed to have and for three years we kind of went along with the flow the church uh, did not have even a grounding deeply in the doctrine like it should have had Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. nor for sanctification separation and so on in 1983 uh, i went to attend The district conference at that time we were part of the atlantic district uh went to Mm -hmm. attend the district conference being held in the city of st john new brunswick that year and while i was Mm -hmm. there uh the preacher preached a couple of really stirring messages one in particular called the curse of mediocrity and how that mediocrity can can kill our spiritual life can kill the spiritual life of a church as people just go through the motions and you know, have a nice little service, have a nice little church, but not really have breakthrough. So mm-hmm. I came back home. I had missed my fast day because I was at the district conference. So I told my wife on Saturday night, I said, don't cook for me tomorrow because I always had Wednesday as my fast day for a number of years. And mm-hmm. I had always believed in fasting at one day a week and praying one hour a day. That had been part of my, my spiritual life for a long time. And uh, so I came and I on Sunday. So I told her, I said, don't don't cook for me. And uh, so Sunday night after church, I was looking forward to going home and have, you know, ending the fast. And she had made a beautiful, nice chocolate cake. And I was looking forward to having some of that. However, when I was in the service uh, on Sunday night, the Lord spoke to me and said, I don't want you to eat. So I went home and I, on my way home, I told my wife, I said, I feel, you know, the Lord's telling me not to eat. It looks like it's going to be a three-day fast. But by the time I got into the second day, I said, the Lord is asking me to fast a seven-day fast, which I had never done before. The most I'd ever done in one stretch was five days on water only. Mm -hmm. So, and she joined with me and we began to fast. And as we did, this heavy intercession began to, to fall on us and great burdens of weeping and groaning and even repenting the lord saying you know the church is lukewarm the church is like laodicea Uh, if you don't get on fire i'm going to spew you out of my mouth the lord was speaking very strongly and so Mm -hmm. we we prayed we we finished the the seven days of fasting and on a saturday night uh, i told my wife i said uh, uh, tomorrow uh, something's going to happen it's going to be different I said, tomorrow morning, the service will be normal. But when tomorrow night comes, Sunday night, it's not going to be normal at all. So that's the way it went. Sunday morning was pretty routine. You know, we had our Sunday school and church and everything. When Sunday night uh, happened, when it came time to preach and I got up, I I told the people what God had spoken to me and my wife during the past week, and I said, I actually apologized to the church for the way that I had led them. I said I, I should have been doing, leading you into a deeper walk with God, and I should have been in a deeper walk with God, and uh, some of the things that we were involved in, worldliness, and in the city, and so on. Uh, and I said, the Lord is not pleased. We're not, we're not having revival. We're not doing His work like we should be. And so, and I said, furthermore, the Lord has opened my understanding and my eyes to know some of you are living a double life. You're living in sin. And i'm going to come tonight and talk to you and you know i want you to repent so i went down and one man i brought him to the altar and he, he he was uh, committing adultery and uh, there were other things going on and, and and i'm telling you the holy ghost took over that place we cast devils out of people and it was a powerful powerful move of god that place shook i'm telling you like i'd never seen it since i'd been there Uh, There was an elderly gentleman there. He was a, uh, been around, one this Pentecostal, wrote books that got into Pentecostal publishing house. He always talked about wanting revival, but when that happened that night, uh, you know, I thought everybody's going to be excited and happy that we're having a move of God. But the man went down to the entrance of the church. And when everybody left, he told them, he said, that was not a move of God. Uh, Graham went on a fast and he's been seduced by demons. And so, started a battle that continued for a number of weeks and uh, actually it was a seven seven month battle before it got settled Uh, he ended up taking a group of people and they were holding meetings on the side and all the while plotting for getting rid of me uh, writing the district board and telling them stories about us that weren't true and, uh, but God worked miraculously through it all. I don't have time to go into all the details, but, but God was always a step ahead of the enemy all the way through.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and in the end, when the district board came and settled things, um, they backed us up and stood behind us. One, one of the board members said we were getting all these letters complaining about what was going on. He said it sounded like revival to us. <laughs> <laughs> and so wow that's incredible and so a lot of people left we 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 were down one sunday night we had only 17 in service one sunday night and i still remember on that sunday night that uh when service started and i got up to open service the lord said preach and i'm like what do you mean right now preach yes preach right now so i didn't sing a song we didn't take an offering we didn't do nothing i just preached i preached on the walls of jericho and got the people up, got the 17 people up. Well, 16 of them and one of me, and got them walking around the church. You know, one time every day for one day, and then seven times on the seventh day. And when we got to the seventh time, I said, "I want, I want us all to shout." Well, when they got around the seventh time and we shouted, I'm telling you, the place exploded. It sounded like a thousand people in that room. Wow. And the uh, Holy Ghost moved. And uh, when it quieted down, the dust settled. The Lord spoke and uh in a word of of prophecy and he said you look around now and you see all these empty seats i'm telling you just be faithful just keep seeking me just keep being doing the work of god and and i'm gonna fill these seats and one year later i on it was the first sunday of may one year later on the on the first sunday of may i stood up and I, i told the people i said how many of you were remember that service that we had one year ago. And, you know, I guess the 16 people put up their hand. I said, you remember what the Lord said that night? And they they said, yeah, I said, look around. And that night, most, all the seats were full. And uh, from, from that time on, I'm, I mean, we had to suffer the loss, but we gained a whole lot more in the end and the church began to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things the Lord impressed upon me was the, the importance of prayer as the foundation of everything the church does. Uh, there has to be a foundation of prayer. There's there's so many uh, methods and programs and options that you have to try to grow the church. But the Lord helped me to understand that if you don't lay the foundation of prayer, none of them will work very well. Mm-hmm. If you lay a foundation of prayer, almost anything you do will be successful it'll work um, mm-hmm. because God honors his word so we, we have a very uh, well programmed prayer uh, operation in our church we have people who dedicate at the first of the year to choose a fast day so we we have people fasting every day uh, you know some you know we may have 30 people on Monday and 40 on Tuesday and 45 on Wednesday and so on all through the week. Every day there are people fasting and praying. Many of the people dedicate themselves to pray an hour a day. We we make those pledges on our New Year's Eve service, and uh, we have Mm -hmm. many people. So when you have that foundation of prayer, plus we do special prayer chains and dedicate January as a prayer month, Uh, and the first week of every month is 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 a three day you know fasting and prayer chain when you have that kind of foundation it puts a it puts power and anointing in whatever you reach out to do in in soul winning and god mm-hmm. the prayer just knocks down walls and opens doors so that you 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 just feel god working with you when you go to do whatever as far as soul winning is concerned it, it just happens and even now during this pandemic uh, we're in our church network, which comprised of 18 works now. We have uh, baptisms still every week. Not as many as when we were in service, but we're still mm-hmm. baptizing people every week in our network.
0: Wow. Hey, Amen. That's incredible. That's such a powerful, uh, powerful testimony. Really, and I, I love that um, what, what you're talking about—the foundation of prayer. I know there's a quote that. I've heard many times uh, upon visiting your church and uh, from many, many of the young people, I, I've, I've heard this uh, more prayer, more power.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's it. And and that that right there is is can can stick with you and should inspire many of us to really get into prayer when we lack in prayer, when we lock in building a foundation of prayer. Like you said, everything else that we do or try to do, try to plan just falls apart and uh you know just to speak candidly i've experienced that in my life even you know being someone who loves to plan and 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 you know put all kinds of stuff together for a youth event or for a youth rally uh but seeing it all fail because of a lack of prayer um you know it, i i can i can back back that up right there that it's so important and uh we we just finished um a series actually on on leadership uh, in our church here in Winnipeg uh and and that was one of the the lessons talking about prayer um and I just I just love that that's you know something that you've pushed uh since the very beginning and now when I look at uh the church there in Montreal I think I read an article sometime last year uh that that was made about uh your church exactly saying that it was exploding and it needed you guys were looking for a new building and and, and stuff like that just amazing to know that that all came from that one foundation of just simply getting in prayer. Exactly. And, uh, and, and I think that that's something that everybody can take, not just those who are pastoring a church, but uh, if you're coming out of college, if you're coming out of uh, high school and you're trying to figure out what's, what you're going to do with your life, you're trying to figure out what kind of uh, decisions you need to make in, in different areas. If you're a young married couple, um, this, what we've just received today from this uh, discussion applies the same to everybody build a foundation of prayer uh, in your life and, and God will reveal the rest to you. Um, And so I think that's, that's amazing. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that. uh, Pastor Graham, Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you now have 18 different, different works that have come out from uh, what you guys were doing initially many years ago. Um, I guess, just kind of the the last final discussion of this podcast, uh, how were you able to manage all of those and, and, and get those started in the first place? I know a lot of them are different. Um, uh, I I know there's like a Spanish work, Spanish service or Iranian service, different kinds of um, uh, cultures that were specified in those works. Uh, how were you able to train up individuals and uh, again, now manage those 18 works?
1: Well, one of the things the Lord laid on my heart a number of years ago, you know, we were the typical church. We had, you know, Sunday service and midweek Bible study and Saturday night prayer meeting. Uh, but the Lord directed me to take our Wednesday night and start using it as a training night. So we started, instead of, you know, doing seven heads and ten horns at of Revelation, we started uh, doing what we call Christian workers' class um mm-hmm. basically back then they didn't call it leadership training but it, 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 now that i look back in retrospect a lot of the stuff we did was leadership training so we <laughs> yeah. we we trained to prepare a lot of people for for doing the work of god whether you know they were uh, outreach workers or sunday school teachers or youth workers or uh, you know some of them eventually became pastors of our uh, daughter works that we have now and so uh, looking looking back i can see how the hand of god was in that that got away from the concept of you know you know one man doing all of the work and being the pastor and all the responsibility falls on his shoulders because mm-hmm. w- when i grew up that's kind of the way it was the, the, the people looked to the preacher to do all of the work because they said that's what we pay him for and then there were mm-hmm. pastors they had the other mentality was this is my job don't you try to do it but that concept thankfully has changed a lot in, in our in our world now and uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know we, we men of god who can realize and understand the key to growing is to develop leaders and uh, those leaders to take responsibility of the work. one man can probably pastor a hundred people effectively if he's really 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 exceptional he might be able to look, look after 200 people but not very many people can do that so you almost Mm -hmm. have to have uh one leader of some kind for for every hundred people that you have under your care and our our work of course the french daughter work had already started and uh, i was holding the responsibility of both the french and the english i delegated the french work several times to different leaders and ended up having it fall back on my own lap because of trying to find somebody who was going to be faithful. I had a number of them fail, Uh, you know, some failed doctrinally, some failed morally, Uh, some just got discouraged and quit. Uh, But the Mm -hmm. man that we have there now is a very, very faithful, strong man. And uh, he himself now is raising up French speaking leaders that are pastoring granddaughter works that we have in our network. Uh, Uh So the training was very important. And a lot of our daughter works came about as spontaneously as a need arose Uh, for example when we started we reached a hispanic uh, pastor pastor guzman and uh, his family Uh, uh, i encouraged him uh, to start a spanish work and so we ended up then with english and french and spanish and uh, Mm -hmm. we were doing uh four services on Sunday, an English service in the morning and then a French service, French service, finished, then Spanish service, and then we had our evening bilingual service and uh, we, we carried that on for many years and, and, and still still do that but now of course we've added uh, the Sri Lankans, South Asians and we have Cambodians uh, who all have meetings inside of our own uh, building, uh, the Mauritians and of course the Filipinos, who mostly all speak English, are in our, our English work, but mm-hmm. they, too, do a, you know, a couple of special uh, services on the side. And up until the pandemic, would do one, uh, one service a month, kind of like as an evangelism service, um, more mm-hmm. geared to reaching the Filipino community. Um, then, you know, we had all of the works at first centered in our own building. Then uh, Pastor Benji. Uh, he had a burden. God laid me on a burden, a burden on him to go to another section of the city and start a work, uh, which he did. It's been going out for a number of years and uh, established mm-hmm. and doing well. Uh, they they reach people, baptize people regularly. Uh, the French pastor got a burden. He moved to the east end of the city. We had tried to start a work over there a number of years before, and uh, just couldn't get it to go. But he moved over there and he started a church. Uh, Now they've just bought their second building. They sold their first one and bought a second larger one uh, for their church. Out of Pastor Benzie's church, uh, one of the men that he trained has gone to another part of Montreal and started a church, a place called La Salle. And Pastor Mm -hmm. Cohose, out of his church now, has come to work in Montreal North a work in saint Michel, a work in Hochelaga, a work in laval east a work in pierre east a work out in uh, the city of granby and then also out of our church we have two churches going one in the city of saint jerome and another one over in uh, a city called joliet uh, all of these are, are part of our network and even in pastor benzi's church now he has a pastor who is doing Uh, Tagalog services for like elderly people that don't speak English very well Mm -hmm. so he has Mm -hmm. he has a pastor doing that so right now we have like 18 works in our network.
0: That's incredible you kind of see like a, a ripple effect taking place here you know you train up one individual who starts a work and from there you know two more come out and it that that's that's very inspirational and that's incredible. I've actually had the privilege of preaching at a few of those uh, works uh, in Joliet. I had the opportunity of preaching there one time, and uh, incredible work that's going on there. And I know the pastor uh, there. If uh, if he's still pastor in there, Pastor Subi, yes. I uh, forget his name. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's an Mar- incredible man as well. Yeah,
1: he's a Mauritian man, and he leads a, a Mauritian mm-hmm. group in our our church once a week as well before the pandemic started, of course, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. a very very faithful men.
0: That's incredible. Has has the uh, pandemic really affected uh, a lot of the works that, that are going on right now?
1: Yes, it has. Uh, of course, we're restricted now to a maximum of twenty five people, and mm-hmm. so that, that that kind of limits us. In our mother church, basically, all we are doing now is using our church as our broadcast studio. Because by the time mm-hmm. we, we live stream with our musicians and our technicians and camera people and so on, and then you have to have so- somebody at the door uh, signing people in and out, everybody has to be, and, you know, temperature taken, masked, and, and the whole bit, like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're already over 20 people, so we can't really open up to the public for service because we have no space. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But some of our daughter churches were affected in in the fact that they rented Rented storefronts or community centers for their services and and some of those got shut right down. We still have one uh, Who has not been able to restart because the the place that they rented was in a commercial building and they have not been allowed mm. back in there uh, since this whole thing started
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we're seeing that in a lot of a um, lot of our churches, uh, especially the smaller ones and the ones that are renting. Even in our district, that's happened to a few of our churches, so it's uh, quite unfortunate. Um, but it's good that I mean the mother church is still able to broadcast. I'm sure many are tuning in uh, to that. Are you Are you doing that bilingual as well, or is yes. it just English?
1: Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay. We do our our morning English service. Then the the French people come in. They do their service. Then the Spanish people do theirs. And then we do a sunday night english french service Mm -hmm. that's good stuff that's good stuff
0: yeah thank thank god for technology and the uh resources that we all have well yes we would be kind of of (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely uh will we'll definitely uh continue to pray for uh, the situation and uh pray that uh, those works would be able to uh, get started back up and uh you know this this whole uh Discussion and, and all the stuff that you share, you've shared with us this evening has uh, really been a blessing. And uh, again, I'll say to all of our viewers, if you're ever in Montreal, you have to uh, visit this church and, and experience and see what God has done over the past years. You'll see it in, in all the different, hopefully once COVID's done, of course, uh, but you'll see it in all the cultures that are there uh, and in the different works that are taking place across um, Quebec as well, it's a big province, a lot of people in, in Quebec, a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. And um, it's amazing to see uh, that being spread now in this, even in this time. So uh, thank you so much, Pastor Graham, for, for sharing uh, all of this, sharing your heart, sharing uh, the, the history, the origin story of uh, this great ministry that is taking place in Montreal. And uh, I hope that all of our listeners can uh, can be blessed and and. Hopefully uh take some pointers out as well if you're uh pastoring a church or you're leading a youth group, whatever it might be um try and take some pointers out of this start training up some individuals uh that's that's a key point that i that I noticed as well in in what you've shared today and what I've witnessed from your own ministry um the the leadership aspect i I guess one last question uh more practical but is there a specific resource that you use uh in teaching? training up leaders
1: uh one of the resources that we used was brother tim Massengale's let my people grow i'm not sure if you're Mm -hmm. aware of brother tim massingale he works with the Mm -hmm. indiana bible college he was an evangelist a number of years ago and he has developed very good resources to help uh for any church to grow and also you know materials to help train uh, leaders and set them in order. Uh, that's a very, very good resource. We use that uh, a lot in our early stages of growth, uh, and and set up mm-hmm. the patterns that's uh, that's in there, and followed it for our local church. And of course, it spilled over into our French ministry, our Spanish ministry, and the the daughter churches still use a lot of those those principles.
0: Amazing. I don't know if you remember, uh, Pastor Grimm, but there was a, a couple of years back when I was first, uh, when I was uh, elected uh, to pastor here at a church uh, in Winnipeg. I spent a week uh, there in Montreal, uh, following on Pastor Benji. Yeah, you, you actually uh, recommended me that book as well. And there was another resource um, called uh, Total Church Growth by the same author,
1: I believe. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, that, that, those two things mm-hmm. actually go together, let my people grow and total church growth. Uh, they're both his works. The, the "Let My People Grow" is kind of he put it into a story mm-hmm. form to make it easier to to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the total church growth has all of the practical aspects of it.
0: That's good stuff. Good stuff. I'm gonna put a link. I, I believe they're still selling it in. Uh, they are on the website. They are Pentecostal. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'll put a link there for everybody if you want to check out that resource. Uh, um, highly recommended uh, for you if you're especially a pastor. Uh, or a leader in any way, uh, or wanting to train up and disciple leaders, it's a great resource, and, and uh, I would encourage you to check that out. Uh, but I, I guess that's it for uh, this episode. I want to say thank you once again, Pastor Graham, for uh, sharing all of this uh, stuff with us today. I wonder, uh, before we close out, if you could uh, say a quick prayer for all of our viewers and anybody that tunes into this episode today um, as we close out uh, this podcast.
1: Sure. Lord, We thank you for your great salvation that came to us. One day somebody brought the gospel to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the privilege to be a part of your kingdom, to do your work. Lord, we pray today for your anointing, your blessing, your strength, your wisdom upon all the people that listen. I pray for our leaders, our pastors, their wives, their families. God, for your strength and anointing and wisdom on each of them, for each of the churches God, that you will open doors of evangelism and Bible studies and grant that there be a great harvest of souls. God, that's the reason the church exists, is to reach lost people, to preach the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen everyone. May they they get the vision that you have for them. May they find the plan of God for their own local church and their own city. We pray to to reach as many people because we know your comings. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you once again, Pastor Graham, for uh, being with us on this episode. Uh, be sure to check out uh, this episode as it comes out. I guess you'll be listening to our, to it already. Uh, we will be posting episodes continually, hopefully consistently, consistently on Fridays. Uh, but you can also check out the previous episodes. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bridge underscore podcast. And uh, be sure to share this episode as as much as you can. That would be much appreciated. And hopefully we can uh, spread the gospel. We can continue to fulfill our mission, what we are called to do. And uh, hopefully this episode is just another tool to help you uh, do that as well. So God bless you all. Thank you once again for tuning in. And we will see you, I guess, talk to you in the next one. God bless.